As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs and medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, welcome to the Curator Podcast. This is episode 13. Hi, hello, welcome once again dear listener to the Curator Podcast. I'm your host Mark Fraser and this is episode 13. Thanks for listening. Recently, as in last weekend, I was at Heavy Festival. After a weekend of complete carnage, I came away with four interviews that I'm pretty happy with. My flatmate and compadre Craig helped me with the sound that weekend and we had, basically we had really great fun. Saw loads of great bands too. Interviews with Creeper, Milk Teeth and Fight Start will come soon And in case you missed it, on Tuesday I put up a wildcard episode with Ben from Dillinger Escape Plan Just a short wee interview, hope you enjoy it, check it out if you can please On this episode I have broadcaster, writer, musician and DJ Vic Galloway Due to the kindness of a guy at the Trongate 103 building in Glasgow We were able to sneak into a room for a little bit and record this interview so I apologise for the echo. If you don't know Vic by name, you'll almost certainly know him by his voice. He's been working with the BBC for over a decade and is a regular fixture on BBC TV during music festivals and can be heard on BBC Radio 1 on Thursday mornings and Radio Scotland on Monday nights. He's as close to a Scottish John Peel as you can get and his passion for music is unparalleled, as is his knowledge. He's brought so many new bands into the spotlight over the years and he's got a considerable musical history himself, which we go into with some detail on this podcast. We also talk a little bit about his latest book, Songs in the Key of Fife, which is a great read and I thoroughly recommend it. For reasons that will be made clear in about 15 minutes time, I'm opening this episode with the Pink Panther theme by Henry Mancini. Midway through we've got The Day I Met God by Adam and the Ants, but for now, here's the Pink Panther. Thank you. 
Mr. Vic Galloway, how are you doing? Doing very well, thank you very much, Mark. Yeah, how are you? I am, I'm okay. Uh, this is a bit weird sitting in this surrounding. <laughs> I don't even know where we are, we're in some, some place, it's bizarre. Um, so, thanks for taking time to talk to me. Uh, I mean, trying to get a, a, a vast cross-section of people to, to talk to me in the podcast, it's all about passion and creativity, which is cool, I guess. Um, and talking about passion and creativity, you seem to celebrate both of these things a lot on the radio. Um, so I guess we should probably start at the beginning. When do you first remember you had a particular passion for music? That is a question that I didn't expect you to ask me, to be honest. So when did I first sort of feel a connection to music? Um, I can remember, and I still love this piece of music, I can, I can remember falling in love with the theme to the Pink Panther, Henry Mancini. Uh, you might know it. And I still love jazz and kind of film soundtracks and so on to this day. But my grandmother bought me a seven-inch single of the Pink Panther on one side and Baby Elephant Walk on the other side, another Henry Mancini. And I used to sort of skip around the, the front room where the record player was to that and just flip between the two sides. So, I mean, to be honest, that is my first recollection of music. And I, I, I really don't know how old I was, four, five years old. Um, possibly music um, registered with me before that. But Henry Mancini, the Pink Panther, and I believe my mum probably in a box somewhere in the attic or whatever has probably still got that record. And if she does... I'm going to find it one day and play it and probably skip around the living room again. <laughs> so that's, that's probably the earliest memory of anyone I've ever had in this podcast so far. So. That's, well, that's the truth. That's, that's the earliest memory I, can, I have of music. Um, my dad is a classical musician and um, plays the violin and my brother plays the violin and I play all sorts of things, but I, he ended, he bought me a banjo to begin with for some reason. I didn't really, I wasn't really into playing the banjo. So we swapped it eventually for an electric guitar. It was a cheap electric guitar and a, and a crappy sort of practice amp, um, little tiny thing. Uh, and so in terms of playing, I did learn to play, she'll be coming around the mountain on the banjo. But in terms of playing, that was the start of that. My dad also gave me a cassette of rock and roll, great because his era of pop music was the first wave of rock and roll 50s stuff so little richard fats domino eddie cochran elvis connie francis etc etc and so I, I fell in love with that as well i have to say i still think maybe the best pop music of all is is that first wave of rock and roll i mean my dad definitely thinks so he he he, he turned off when the beatles started he was just like no nah, i can't be bothered and and was already into sort of classical music and so on by then but I love Little Richard and that first wave of 50s rock and roll. I mean, it still totally ignites my soul. And when I'm um, DJing, I'll play a whole cross-section of different music, but I almost always end with like the last 20 minutes or half an hour rock and roll bangers and the place goes off. It works and there's not a single soul on this planet that doesn't like Good Golly Miss Molly or Tutti Fruity or you know, one of those great balls of fire or whatever. So Pink Panther and that single, and then a sort of rock and roll compilation. And then my first music that I discovered that I, on my own accord, of my own accord, was um, Adam and the Ants. 
Adamant, and I, again, I still love Adamant. I think he's amazing, and especially the earlier stuff. And the first album, Dirk Wears White Socks, I think is a masterpiece. And then when he started becoming a bit more successful, Kings of the Wild Frontier, that album just sounds incredible. I mean, the singles of that were going top 10. And this is a guy in leather trousers, um, makeup, uh, two drummers, really distorted guitar, singing about pirates and Red Indians. And it was just incredible. It's, if you think about it, it was really weird um, that kids were into that. And it was, and it was, I mean, I was eight nine years old while I was listening to Adam Mant to begin with and um, you know what are kids of eight or nine years old listening to now what's going to number one Taylor Swift I mean with no disrespect Taylor Swift's really good at what she does but she's not got face makeup on and two drummers and loads of distorted guitars and she doesn't sing about American Indians and pirates and bondage and it was totally it was it was art it was rock and roll it was sex it was dressing up it was subversion all mixed together and um i still think those early records prince charming the the album afterwards people laugh at this stuff it's amazing go and search out these records they're brilliant that uh, fucking voice man like that fucking voice yeah he's he, well he yodels away he just he yodels away and he's got his own style of songwriting it's a bit bowie it's a bit t-rex it's a bit Gary Glitter even, or the Glitter Band, but um, we don't talk about him any longer. Um, <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. But um, yeah, but he's got his own thing going on, and I went to see him do the first album, Dirkers White Socks, in its entirety last year, in November last year in London. And he played it from beginning to end, and then loads of weird B-sides and rarities afterwards. And it was, it was just as good as ever. It was note perfect, but with passion. So yeah, Adam and the Ants, then I got into Madness and Specials and all that kind of stuff and Elvis Costello, XTC and my best friend James, who's now a successful songwriter, James Yorkston, signed to Domino Records. He and I, we got into it all together. So it was Adam and the Ants and Madness and all this stuff. And then we went back into punk and that, that was the real epiphany for us, I suppose, after Adam Ant was punk rock because we realized that maybe we could do it as well. And I have recordings, which no one will ever hear. I have recordings of James and I playing Boredom by the Buzzcocks on sort of, I think, at a Bon Tempe Casio organ. So, kind of um, drum beat. And, um, and us playing guitars with one finger, playing Boredom by the Buzzcocks. And my voice hasn't even broken. So it's like, you know, um, I mean, we must be 11 years old. He's, he's a year older than me, so 11, 12 years old. That, that's pretty advanced. We lived in the sticks in Fife as well, so music has always been a major, major thing for me. In fact, it's a no-brainer for me. It was the only thing I was going to do, uh, pretty much. Um, everyone thought I was going to go into acting and drama and so on, which I also love and had a sort of talent for, but um, the, the music thing just completely got me, grabbed me by the throat, threw me around the room, and I'm still still into it all. So you think, uh, compared to a lot of other people that I've spoken to, you've grown up with music, like, that's quite a far back memory. Like, that's... Most people can't even track that far back in their heads just in life as a... To, but coming back to that very specific moment <laughs> is, 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 you know, that's like quite a pure memory. Do you think having that sort of music-focused family and music in your life is really... Well, it's obviously had a huge effect on you, yeah. but do you think that's helped you to define a lot of who you are now as you've grown older? 
Yeah, don't get me wrong. My parents don't really understand the music that I like or the, the rock and roll, the punk rock, whatever stuff that I like. Um, but they're both really musical. As I said, my dad's a musician and still plays the fiddle. Um, my mum doesn't play an instrument, but she's very musical. She's, you know, she sings, and, she, and when she was a, a child in the borders, she used to dance and all that sort of stuff. Um, and my brother's a musician uh, as well. I mean, not professionally, but plays you know, a bit of fiddle, but also plays bass and guitar and so on. And in fact, we were in a band together for a while, which I never thought would work, but it totally did, and it was great fun. It absolutely shaped my view of the world. Both my parents... Um, are quite anti-establishment in their own sort of ways. They're quite conservative in some ways, but really quite anti-establishment in other ways. My mum travelled the world before she got married, and she had me at the age of 39 and had my brother at the age of 42, which in the 70s was, you know, pretty freaky. People didn't do that. Um, she's also older than my dad. Um, so she had had a complete life to herself before she had a family, and she'd, she had incredible life experiences. My dad, um, as well as being a musician and went to the Royal College of Music to, to study the, the violin and the piano and so on, he became an interpreter, translator, teacher of Arabic. So it's, it's always, there's always been kind of language, music, um, creativity around us, um, you know, from especially on my dad's side of the family, it's got a sort of slightly more bohemian family, more artists, and my grandmother was an artist, my aunt is an artist, and so on and so on. So it was just, for me, I was always encouraged to express myself and do my, my own thing. And if I ever have children, which I may well do one day, um, I would do exactly the same. I would, uh, I would just let them, um, you know, if, if some, I think the real problem with a lot of people is that they see a child going down a path that they personally think is is the wrong path uh, and they try and stop them and, and then it causes friction and resentment and so on between the parent and the child. My parents didn't necessarily like the fact I had tight jeans and Doc Martens and ripped T-shirts and I was listening to The Damned or The Sex Pistols or whatever it was at the time and I was... I got my ear pierced and, you know, I did, had stupid haircuts and so on. So now I'm, I've got loads of tattoos. They don't like that, but they don't condemn it either. And in fact, my grandmother on my dad's side, she used to encourage it all. So it's that whole, you know, if you're in an environment where you're listening to music, my dad would be playing rock and roll one minute. Maybe he'd pick up on some Greek music. He loves Greek music. So he'd be playing like Greek pop music one moment or traditional Greek music. Then he'd be obviously all of his classical stuff. And my mum was always singing songs. Then I got into all my kind of indie and punk and alternative music. Yeah, it was it was a good it was a good environment. They they certainly didn't condemn it. They used to sort of take the piss out of me for listening to it and say that's rubbish. But um, you know, they never said don't do it, and I think that's really important. I think my parents were kind of the same, which is why I'm before you just now doing this weird podcast thing. <laughs> how did how did all of that lead to where you are just now? I mean, you were in bands and stuff like that, so clearly that's a and given the musical talent in your family, that's always a path you could have followed. Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. I would, I, I would still rather be a professional music, musician than a um, than a broadcaster. That's not to do down broadcasting because I absolutely love my job, um, and I don't see why I can't do both. And to be honest, I am a musician. I've got two bands on the go at the moment. Um, you know, I mean, they're never going to sell millions of records, and they're not going to make us famous or turn us into pop stars. But that's not the 
that's not the the reason I do them. I do it because I absolutely love doing it. Um, yeah, I tried. I tried to make it, the, you know, my my one sort of thing. I mean, James Yorkson, who I talked about earlier, my oldest friend in the world. I've known him since I was about three years old. Um, he and I were in two different bands. Um, and then I was in a band with King Creaso as well years ago, um, which we've actually started doing again for fun uh, nowadays. We've got a couple of festivals coming up, the Paisley Spree. You should come and see us. We're, we're, we're a bit of a laugh. It's pretty psychedelic. <laughs> and then Loopaloo Festival up in Ullapool, which will be, again, pretty daft. Um, What's the band called? Uh, that band is called Cartoon Heroes, as in the place Khartoum in Sudan, but it's just a, a pretty bad play on words of cartoon heroes. But yeah, cartoon heroes, and it's it's a bit it's a bit bluegrass, it's a bit ska, it's a bit punk, it's a bit you know kind of pop, I suppose. It's got like harmonies, and it's pretty you know psychedelic. It's a mixed bag. It's like throw everything in. Um, we toured in Europe in the in the nineties, and we played festivals and. Um, yeah, we, we kind of, we were pretty bohemian. We were kind of the sort of band that would play electronic or electric gigs by night and then busk during the day. And we lived, we lived off our wits. You know, we learned how to be kind of as professional as we could be musician wise. So anyway, I mean, I also played in another band with, with, um, James and various friends called Huckleberry and we put out records. John Peel played us. Steve Lamack played us. We played at Reading Festival. We played at Tea in the Park. We toured around the UK. We did an NME tour. Yada, yada, yada. It didn't really amount to much. Um, apart from tons and tons of recordings and loads of great memories and lots of touring and that kind of stuff. And uh, a previous band, oh, I was in tons of bands, <laughs> and I still am. I mean, you know, and, I, and there are like loads of shite records dotted around the world with my name on them as well. So it's not for lack of trying. It was just whether it was what we were doing was unfashionable. We didn't hit the zeitgeist at the right time. Whatever. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna go. Oh, woe is me, because I, I enjoy my life. My life's good, and I still make music. In fact. If I'd made it at the age of 22 or something like that, I might be dead by now, knowing, knowing what I was like at the age of 22. You know what I mean? It was so, and I, yeah, hedonistic, but, you know, just a bit wild and just like try anything for a laugh. Um, yeah, and I think I'm probably making better music now than I was then. So the, the trouble with pop music or rock and roll or whatever is that it's very age specific, uh, less and less so, I think, but it's basically if you don't make it when you're young, you're doomed, uh, which is fair enough to a certain extent. But a, a, an artist, Picasso's better work was when he was in his kind of 40s, 50s, 60s. Um, a lot of filmmakers get better with age. In fact, most artists who are any good, authors, you know, filmmakers, visual artists, etc., get better. And most musicians do as well. It's just that rock and roll and pop music, it tends to be about that capturing youth. So... If you've got the Rolling Stones, the Strolling Bones, uh, playing Satisfaction or whatever, and they're all in their 70s, it's a bit tough to take, but they enjoy doing it. People enjoy listening to them. Why the hell not? It's a common story, that, like the one you just described, how you got to like the music. People, like, obviously, I'm speaking to people on the podcast who bands that I've come across, and maybe it might not pan out for them. But it's a common story. People try it, and it just, it just kind of, it's never, it never catches on somehow. And you know, I guess that's that's the way that the business is. But the artistic side is still very fulfilling, isn't it? Yeah, uh, absolutely. Um, obviously, when you're younger, you you are driven a little bit by 
I suppose, success. Although we were pretty DIY and pretty punky, you know, we just like got in the van and we booked our own tours. And, you know, as I say, when we didn't have a gig, we would work out some of the songs acoustic or learn some others and, and busk with a double bass or, you know, we find ways to, to get around it. And um, the network of, even in Scotland, but even, especially throughout the UK, but, you know, as we're, we're in Scotland, there wasn't so many gigs. There wasn't such a framework. There wasn't, you know, the network of radio you know, plays and, uh, you know, there's various different DJs that will play unsigned bands now, blogs, that whole kind of podcast culture and so on, which just didn't exist. You had fanzines and then you had Radio 1 and that was pretty much it. There was Radio Scotland and there was a great show called Beat Patrol, but that was it pretty much. Occasionally a, a commercial station might might play your stuff. I mean, hats off to Jim Gellatley, who... He's a bit older than me, and he played some of my crap bands on the radio before I got into radio. So, and he had us in for a session, a sort of acoustic session, and um, yeah. So, it, but it was harder. There wasn't like I don't think you know alternative music was actually alternative. It's 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 seeped into the mainstream a lot more now, and it's a part of people's sort of coming of age. I think going to festivals. When I went to Reading and and these kind of festivals. The only people there were punks and metalers and hippies and skinheads and mods. They weren't like mainstream people that had jobs and offices. It was like the real outsiders, the real alternative people. And I'm not saying one thing's better than the other. In fact, if you're in a band, you've probably got more opportunities to tour and get played and recognized and heard uh, than we did. But that was the way it was. We gave it a go. And, you know, James is successful, James Yorkson. King Creosote, he's successful. I mean, I ate white bread and baked beans for about eight, nine years um, before getting a, a job with the BBC, as it, as it happens, um, and, you know, signing on the dole and working in crap jobs and all that sort of stuff that, you know, I, I just got to the point when an opportunity came my way, which was to do radio at the BBC. I just jumped at it because I had nothing else going on. I hadn't, didn't have two coins to rub together. I, I didn't see a future in any of my bands. But those guys stuck at it and came through the other side. And, okay, they're not millionaires and they're not household names necessarily, but they're professional musicians. They get to do what they like for a living. Um, possibly if I'd stuck at it, that would have happened. Possibly not. A door opens. Doors open. You get to crossroads in your life. And, you, you know, you take one path or the other. The, the opportunity to get involved in doing radio and then TV and journalism and so on and so on kind of presented itself to me and I took that route. And I still make music as well, so, you know, I get the best of both worlds, I suppose. So just to go back a little bit, um, my connection to, to you is I did some work experience at the BBC in 2010 and I sat in on your show when you did the Unwinding Hours session. And I always thought to myself, how did, how did that guy get to do that? Like, so, like, what was the journey that led you to being broadcast or journalist? And had journalism always kind of been something, because broadcasting is journalism, has it always kind of been something that was also an alternative in your head that you wanted to do? It's funny, a lot of people ask me this, and it never was an alternative. I hadn't thought about it for a second. I'd never thought about radio, TV, journalism, anything like that, really, at all. Um, it was no sellout, punk rock, I'm going to be a musician, this is it. And I actually, in my sort of, uh, no, mid-20s, so it must have been about 25, I started, like, not having a mild, not having a panic attack or a midlife crisis or anything, but I started to think, 
there is maybe a slim possibility that I might not be able to become um, a professional musician and do, you know, write songs for a living, play songs, sing them, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, do I really, and I had no qualifications other than my school qualifications. I did all right at school, but nothing. I mean, I could have gone to university, but I didn't, I didn't go to university. I just went straight into the school of rock. Um, and, you know, I just went into like being a professional or as trying to be a professional musician. And I, I started thinking, do I really want to pull pints and work in cafes and do temp jobs for the rest of my life? Now, there's nothing wrong with that. And then go on tour for three months and then come back and get another job and then go on tour for three months. And so I just started looking around while I was still very serious about bands and I started doing lights at venues I started writing for fanzines I started working doing PR for a a label in Edinburgh which was called Human Condition Records which came out of a studio called Chamber Studio and they put out Ida Wilde's first single and various other people so um, I started doing PR for them and and just various different things that would pay me some money uh, that would allow me to stay within music rather than having to go and work in McDonald's or something like that, which I clearly wasn't going to do. Um, so I was, I was playing in bands, I was putting on club nights, I was DJing, I was doing PR for labels, I was writing for fanzines, I was doing lights, I was doing anything. You know, I might get 20 quid for that and 30 quid for this and 50 quid for that and, you know, sign on a little bit, do a, you know, a part-time job for a bit. And it was, it was all bubbling away. I was, certainly wasn't a wealthy man by any stretch of the imagination, but I was getting by. And a friend of mine, I suppose this may, may this be a lesson to anyone out there, um, like a friend of mine started going out with a girl who worked for the BBC, and this is probably how the world works, really. She worked for Radio 1, behind the scenes as a producer. Occasionally she would go on air, but she was basically a producer. And um, she worked on various shows, and she ended up producing um, The Evening Session, um, Steve Lamack was presenting it. Well, she was one of the producers. She was in the production team. And she happened to be going out with and then eventually married to a pal of mine. I was best man at the wedding. And they were looking for regional presenters, Scotland, England, Ireland, and Wales. Well, Steve Lamack was st- going to stay in England, but they were looking for Scottish, Irish, and Welsh presenters. And she came to me and said, look, we've gone around all the regional shows. We've gone around all the student uh, networks, all this kind of stuff. And we've not really found anyone. There's a few people in the running, but we're not massively happy or the people who are judging it, she wasn't judging it. Um, would you think about doing this? And I went, no, no, I'm a, I'm a punk rocker. I'm a musician. I'm not the other side. I'm not, uh, you know, I'm not the presenter. I'm not the, the sort of journalist. But then I thought about it more and more. I was kind of like, I, 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 don't, I don't have any cash, really. I don't really have any prospects or future for, that I could see. And I thought, well, maybe I could do that and still be in band. So I, anyway, I made a tape and I handed it in and apparently went on the pile with all the others. And lo and behold, I think it was about six weeks later, I kind of forgot about it, to be honest. Six weeks later, I got this phone call saying, you're down to the last 10 and I sort of, I was pretty shocked. And then I think it was about two weeks later, you're down to the last five. And eventually it was, we can't decide between you and this girl, would you make a tape or a sort of pilot, I should say, a pilot program with this girl, um, Jill Mills. So I was kind of nothing to lose. Yep, made the pilot. She was like a mouthy, gobby, 
experienced, more showbizy um, character. Although she she loves music, don't get me wrong. She's on amazing radio these days. Um, um, but she was way more experienced. I'd never done any of it. Um, and they put us together, and we did a pilot. It seemed to work, and we got the gig. So my first ever radio show was on Radio One, <laughs> uh, the, the session in Scotland, and and then it got called Vic and Jill, and then um, Jill left, and it was just Vic Galloway, and then it went to the introducing slot, um, and that was BBC introducing with Vic Galloway in Scotland, you know or BBC Introducing in Scotland with Vic Galloway. So I, I was in various different slots, and the show was called Different Things on Radio 1, and I was there for 11 and a half years. At the same time, um, because it's made in the, the Scottish BBC, um, the Glasgow BBC to be uh, specific, um, I was offered a, a show on BBC Radio Scotland as well. So, uh, you know, after a couple of years of Radio 1, I was doing two shows a week, and then that led to other stuff. I started doing lots of journalism locally, started writing for various different newspapers, magazines, The List magazine, all sorts of different things. I did a column for the News of the World for a bit. I did all sorts of bits and pieces. Um, I write for the Sunday Herald now. Um, and, yeah, it led on to TV. I started doing TV at Teen the Park and then other TV shows that were sort of offshoots from the radio show and... Um, and I started doing more work in London and more work in Europe. And then I started going to South by Southwest and meeting people there. And it all just kind of snowballed from there. Now, I'm 43 and I could at some point have moved to London. And that might or might not have benefited my career. I have no idea. I decided I didn't want to do that. I love London. It's a great place, but I don't want to live there. And um, I decided to stay in Scotland. And yeah, maybe, maybe that's harmed my career. I don't know. Um, as I said earlier, you, you, you reach those crossroads in your life, you know, and you, you sort of get to doors that open or shut. I could have taken the London route and it could have led nowhere and I could be, you know, pulling pints somewhere in the East End uh, with a fashionable moustache uh, and a fixed gear bike. Or I could be more successful than I am now. But I'm in Scotland. I get to make radio programmes for Radio Scotland and Six Music. I get to play in bands, I get to write for the Sunday Herald and do all these different things. So it's kind of snowballed from a, a total accident, to go back to your initial question. I was a musician who branched out a little bit and I would advise anyone that is thinking of going into any kind of broadcasting or journalism or whatever, um, if, if you're a musician or not, do lots of stuff. When I got the interview for Radio 1, if you like, we'd made a pilot, but they needed to suss me out and check me out and see if I was the right guy. I had a CV of, like, millions of things that I'd done. Now, they didn't know that... They didn't have to know that one thing paid me 20 quid or 30 quid or was, you know, I did for free or whatever. To them, it was like, wow, this guy's a DJ and he's, he's a journalist and he's put on club nights and he's been in loads of bands and he's toured in Europe and he's played at festivals and he knows loads of the bands in Scotland already. And so I suppose that was on my side. And also I wasn't... Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. 
So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Really interested in being a celebrity. Um, I'm not really interested in the showbiz side of it. I'm more interested in the, the music side of it. So one thing led to another and here I am. quite effervescent about your love for music which is fucking awesome uh, I see, a lot of people that I know and me see the service you, you provide because it's a service for, for unsigned and unknown bands is quite important but how do you keep that interest and that passion for new music you must listen to a lot of music all the time that's new how do you keep that going because a lot of people a lot of people that are my age I mean I'm 29 like they just can't be bored listening to new music anymore because it just becomes a chore so how do you keep that energy up yeah, uh, that's that's something that I get asked a lot as well. How do you keep your energy up for and and your interest and your passion for new music? I guess 
I try and do lots of different things still to this day, um, even though people probably know me mainly or perhaps only for my BBC stuff. I do all sorts of different things. I go to different parts of the world. Um, I, I, I soak up different influences. I've written a book now. Uh, I've, done, I've done all sorts of different things and I keep, keep it interesting all the time. But partly it's, it's, my, it's my hobby. So it's like if, if you can turn your hobby into your job, um, it, it makes life a lot easier in many ways. My dad was never one for giving me advice or telling me what to do. Um, you know, I mean, there was discipline in the house and all the rest of it, but he didn't say you should be this, you should do that, you've got to be a doctor, you've got to be a dentist, you've got to be a policeman, whatever. He didn't do that at all. He basically just um, said do whatever you're passionate about that you're interested in because you have to do it eight hours a day, nine, ten hours a day for most of your, the rest of your life. So it may as well be something that you're interested in. So we talked about hedonism briefly earlier on. It's a kind of hedonism, I suppose. It's like, I want to do what I want to do um, every day or as much of it because even when you like doing something, it's still a chore, it's still hard work sometimes, you know, it's still not, you know, working at the BBC is not always easy. It's not, I mean, stressful and, and you get nervous and, and, you know, you have to compromise a lot and there's all sorts of things. But ultimately, it's, it's amazing. I'm really, really lucky. So I keep the, the passion because it's something I'm genuinely interested in. Having said that, you occasionally do hit kind of you know, you, you, you kind of hit a, a block every now and again and you think, here's another band with a pair of dark glasses, like shades on and a leather jacket and they think they're the new Velvet Underground or whatever and it's like the same chords, the same kind of lyrics, the same kind of fashion, the same kind of thing and you're just like, come on guys. Uh, so you do, I do push myself into different areas. I'm increasingly listening to jazz and, and what gets called world music. I love all sorts of African and South American music and so on and so on. Um, I was at a festival in Switzerland a few weeks ago and I was watching loads of uh, Tuvan throat singing and this kind of stuff, which is just fascinating and amazing, you know. Um, but then I also like going to see a punk rock band or Adamant or whatever it is. So I think it's just mix it up, keep it varied, keep looking for the interesting stuff. I think a lot of people get bored of new music because they're not listening to the good stuff. Um, I would say that, obviously, but you know, if if you if you hear middle of the road music over and over and over again, you will think that all music is middle of the road, and it, it couldn't be further from the truth. There is so many, there is a huge range of different diverse styles of music out there across all genres. I mean, it's it's amazing, and across all ages and different kinds of uh, instrumentation, acoustic, you know, electronic, electric, you know, kind of. As I say, jazz, classical music. I'm, I love classical music as well. Um, there's a real movement within classical music at the moment. It's kind of almost blends with independent music like Mogwai and Niels Fram and um, all these all these people. A lot of Olafur Arnolds, a lot of these Icelandic composers and so on. They kind of they're using electronics and post rock, but they're also making kind of minimalist classical music. So you just have to search for it. And the weird thing is that the internet is now available on everyone's phones, in their hands, they can search anywhere in the world for anything. 
And what do they look for? Porn, cats, and probably Coldplay or something like that. I don't know. Uh, and it's like you could be listening to amazing stuff. But I, I, I'm the same. I look for interesting food. I look for interesting films. I look for interesting books. Um, I look for interesting people, friends, you know. Um, I, I just don't want to be surrounded by the mundane, the boring, the middle of the road. I mean, everyone likes... You know, a bland burger every now and again, and everyone wants to watch some comfort TV, you know, Star Wars or whatever it is. Of course, I like that as well, and I don't have to be challenged. I don't want to be having, you know, Ornette Coleman scronking sax or clarinet in my face all the time. You know, it's like you don't want to be listening to trash talk, playing hardcore. You know, there's a time and a place for everything. But as a general rule, I'm interested and I. I'm, I'm alive, and I've, I'm not going to be alive very long, so I figure while I'm alive, I'm going to you know, soak up as much good stuff as possible. And I can't think of many jobs better than listening to music and picking some of the good stuff and playing it. And obviously, as you mentioned, it's a public service, so I am trying to find interesting stuff for other people as well. So... Um, I, I hope people do use me as a service. I know there's all these streaming services and so on as well, which you can use in tandem. I mean, I know people that listened to my show the other night from the Edinburgh Festival. They heard an artist that we had on called Turtle. Uh, Spotify streams a few of his tunes just to make sure that they liked it and then went and bought the EPs on vinyl or CD or whatever. And I think that's great. I just want to be like I was that guy at school finding the weird bands and going, forget you know, dire straits, you should be listening to the Dead Kennedys or whatever it would be. Or you should be listening to, you know, whatever, the Smiths or whatever I was into, you know. And um, I just I just think that's it's a great... I'm, it's, I'm very lucky. I'm honoured to have uh, a job like this. Um, and, I, you know, I get to write about it. I get to talk about it. I get to occasionally play it. Um, so, yeah, that's why I keep the passion up because, you know, I... You know, I can't think of many other things I'd rather be doing. These answers are dead long, aren't they? <laughs> it's a bit, I, I don't like my voice very much, so it's okay. <laughs> I don't actually like my voice either. I'm just like chatting away. I'm really sorry. These answers are really, they're probably really boring to people as well. This is, this is what people listen to it for, man. I have a, you did bring up the book, uh, Songs in the Key of Fife. Mm-hmm. How did that happen and tell us about it? Because it seems like a really interesting thing. I don't want to, I'll let you explain what it is, but it's pretty cool. Yeah, well, basically... Um, you know, I've mentioned that I was I was in bands, and um, most of or a lot of the people that I was I was either in bands with or grew up alongside have had some kind of creative career. And weirdly enough, I grew up in the East Nuke of Fife near St Andrews, um, in a little village called Kings Barnes. And the people in the neighbouring villages and St Andrews itself, a lot of whom you know I was either played in bands with or I was friends with at school or whatever grew up with in one way, shape or form, you know, went to their birthday party or whatever, they, they all became like either musicians or artists or graphic designers or whatever. And it, I started thinking about it. Um, it's all of a certain age group, roughly. And um, I was just wondering, and they're all from this area, why? Why Fife? And why the East Nuke of Fife specifically? Because um, it's quite a sort of relatively leafy, rural farming community it's quite middle class because the um the university's there and so on but it's also kind of classless you've got middle class working class i don't know everyone all just mingling together 
it's a really relaxed, nice, sunny kind of part of Scotland to live in. People go on their holidays there, from Glasgow especially. Uh, and I was just started thinking about it. And then before I knew it, I was, I was starting to put together all these vague theories. And I realised the Beta Band, Katie Tunstall, James Yorkson, King Creazo, the Lone Pigeon, who was also in the Beta Band and the Aliens, and the Pictish Trail and Pip Dylan, and, and then all these different parts of the Fence Collective, like Django Django and Withered Hand and Found and Kid Canaveral and all these bands, you know, some of whom are Fife natives, some of whom went to study in Fife, some of whom just were attracted by the music there. And I just realised, wow, this is a story. No one's told this story yet. I'm kind of integral to it in a certain uh, way because I played all of them on the radio for the first time and grew up with them all. And I, I just... I, I went to a friend of mine who worked at Creative Scotland in the literary sort of part of it and said, how do you, you put out a book? How do, you, how do you put out a book? I don't know how to do it. And he went, well, you probably need an agent and obviously lots of ideas of your own. He put me in touch with an agent who's still my literary agent, Kevin Pocklington from Jenny Brown Associates, a nice guy. And um, the two of us just hit it off, started talking about music immediately, reggae, Sid Barrett, psychedelia, folk, punk rock, The Damned, whatever, all sorts of different stuff. And, um, and I said, I've got tons of book ideas. And he went, that's your first book. You know all the you know, protagonists, you know all the people, they're personal friends of yours. You'll be able to do a first-hand account. Um, why don't you write me the back of the book? So I wrote the back of the book and you know, put in all the key you know, members, the, the beta band, Katie Tunstall, James Yorkson, King Creazo, Pictish Trail, etc. Um, the sort of, the way I would want the back of the book to look. And, um, and he took it to a few publishing houses. They sort of went quite interested, do us a chapter breakdown. So I then did a chapter breakdown, which was really useful. And I used it as a template for the book. Um, and... Basically, a couple of publishers took it on, and we went with um, one based in Edinburgh, Berlin, uh, their, the wing, their pop culture wing, which is called uh, Polygon. And I then approached all the people involved and said, would you mind me? Would you be interested? Everyone was really cool about it, uh, except Steve Mason from Beat Band and so on. And then he was like, I'm, I, I don't want to contribute. I've got nothing to do with those guys. And then I went... Um, well, you've been in a band with James, you've been in a band with Gordon, you've been in a band with Ian, you've produced a Kenny King Creosote single, you're from St Andrews, and he went, all right, all right, all right, okay, I get you. And so all of them did like seven, eight, nine, ten-hour interviews with me, and obviously my own personal anecdote and experience, and then a bit of research, and then lots of, lots of hard work. When everyone else was going to the pub, I would go back to my mum's, usually, and sit with a laptop looking out the window, listening to interviews, researching stuff, going on the internet, you know, et cetera, et cetera, and just writing it down. And eventually I came out with 149,000 words. No, sorry, 184,000 words, which is basically two books. And my publisher said, you're going to have to cut it in half. I said, no. And so they cut it they cut it down to 149. So they took 35,000 words out of it. But it's like a book and a half. It's like a bigger format. And it went out and it sold a few thousand copies. And I've done tons of book events. And we did lots of events with the musicians and me doing readings. And we did one event when we had Songs in the Key of Fife 
um, ale with a, uh, a glass with the artwork engraved on it. That was pretty cool. There was rumours that it was going to be a Songs in the Key of Fife whiskey. Sadly, that didn't come to pass, but we did stuff at all sorts of book events. I went down to do stuff in Wales, got reviewed in Mojo magazine. Yeah, it's, I mean, like everything, you, you're always ambitious for it to do even better, but it's, um, it's opened up a whole new doorway for me, which is writing long-form journalism and books, hopefully. I've had a short story in another book. I've had two chapters in a book about Glasgow music um, and all sorts of other stuff. And I'm looking at writing another one. There's a few ideas on the table. And also, I'm, for example, interviewing lots of people at the Edinburgh International Book Festival. So now I get asked to host book events. So that's another little income stream. It's another way to earn some more money, but it's also something that I enjoy doing. So it's, yet again, something that I'm kind of passionate about. And as you get older, you perhaps, you know, it suits you to to read and, and write a little bit more than when you were young and crazy. So it's all good. It's all good. It's all part of the same thing, which is, you know, telling people about music and, and sharing music with people, you know. That's, that's awesome to hear that, man. We could talk for the rest of the day, but I think we're going to get kicked out soon. Yeah. Um, so is there anything else you want to say or anything you want to ask me before we, before we wrap up? Um, uh, not really, I suppose. I mean, just, you know, what, what about your interest in music? How did you get into the whole thing and so on? I mean, is, is it a similar kind of thing? You're a, a, a musician who's trying hard and, and also sort of looking at the other options of where to go creatively and, and work-wise. Is that sort of is it is it similar to what I've done? No, um, <laughs> I'm actually a writer. Um, I've writing is the only thing I've ever done which makes me feel which which I can do well mm-hmm. basically. But I love music, and I only started playing guitar to sing because my mum was a singer, so I kind of grew up with that. And yeah, that's so it's kind of totally different. <laughs> I do the podcast thing because it's my job, and I thought I'll do a podcast because I need to learn how to podcast for my job. Mm-hmm. But people seem to like it, so I'm like, fuck it, let's do it, man. Yeah, totally. <laughs> um, well, yeah, I mean, like over the next few weeks and months, I've got stuff coming up for Six Music. I've got a week of stuff at the Edinburgh Festival with um, Ida Wilde, Pods, Admiral Fallow, um, Catherine Joseph and C. Duncan all playing free sets. Um, I'll introduce them on stage, talk about them on the breakfast show with Sean Keaveney. Then um, they play out tracks during the day, and then I'm doing a Edinburgh Festival special for Six Music. I've got more Six Music stuff next month. Um, as I say, another book um, idea on the on the table. I've just got to sort of see if I. It's a hell of a lot of work. You, you, it really is. It's tough. Not not tough in that it's not fun, but it's just time consuming. I'm a hard worker as well. That's yeah. I yeah. Well, I just. I mean, that's the thing. I've not got any kids, and I think I, I'm not against having kids. And my girlfriend's younger, so. Um, we, we might well do that at some point, but I suppose ultimately being a guy with quite a lot of energy um, and interested and lucky enough, talented up to a certain level anyway to be able to do all these things. One thing I'd like to get back into is doing a bit more acting, to be honest, but it's something that you've really got to pursue and there's lots of people trying to do it as well. But if something like that came along, I'd be interested in doing... I'd like to play baddies, basically. <laughs> Maybe in American films when they need, like, a, a sort of British bad guy, uh, especially with tattoos, you know. Um, but, yeah. Can I just ask you, where did the acting thing come from? I don't know. It was actually my English teacher um, at school. She said, you've got a really good voice and you read really well in class. 
um, I would recommend that you start doing some youth theatre. So she, I applied for National Youth Theatre and I got in. And, and I applied for Scottish Youth Theatre and I got in. And then I started doing acting competitions and winning them. And, and then I, I started getting all the lead roles in the plays at school. And I started, when I got into sixth year at school, I started, um, I started a drama workshop for the younger kids. And I realised not only was it really good fun, and I found it quite easy and quite natural... But I found that the younger kids who were coming to do the drama workshop were sometimes the kids that would get bullied and beaten up and pushed around and maybe weren't quite so good at sport. Some of them were. Some of them were really sporty, but some of them weren't. And this was a way for them to come and do something they enjoyed and express themselves. And I, I made sure that none of the other kids bullied anyone or anything like that. And I remember at the end of my school... Um, two parents, the parents of one kid came up to me and said, I want to thank you. The one thing that he looked forward to at school every week was your drama workshop. And I thought that was amazing. I was really chuffed to that. So I, 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 you know, I nearly tried, you know, applied to go to RADA and do all that and, you know, really go for it. But rock and roll, rock and roll got me instead. Um, I, as I say, I might, I might, you know, pursue it. In, in the future the thing is I suppose maybe we can end with this um, I, I think humans are quite often just penned in by their own self-doubt and their insecurities and they don't think that things are possible now I'm racked with self-doubt and insecurity and depression and all that stuff as well but I force myself it's almost like I, I'm, I actually get vertigo and I've jumped out of a plane at 10,000 feet and, you know, I've done a bungee jump and all this kind of stuff. Now, I'm not saying it has to be visceral, extreme, no fear, but I think you've just, you've got to, you know, go for it. You've just got to chance your arm and try it. If you've got an interest in something, if you're interested in it, you might have a grain of talent in that area or you think you might have, then give it a shot. And that's what I do. I, I, I don't give up. I, I go for something. Eventually, you might have to just tell yourself, look, this particular thing's not going to work out for me. But, um, you know, something very similar to it might. And it's, it's a question of working hard, being dedicated to what you do, and doing the things that you like. Uh, and hopefully things will work out for you because, um, you know, however long your life is, and they aren't very long, I kind of want to spend mine doing good stuff. And I think people need to kind of look at their lives a bit more like that. I'm not a rich man, but I'm not interested in money, really. As long as I've got enough to get by, it's really about experiences. And the only way you're going to have those experiences is if you get out there and apply yourself and sort of, you know, get involved. Um, but do it in, in, in the field that you're interested in. And that's pretty much what I've done. That's a good way to end. Vic, thank you very much. Thank you very much, Mark. Sorry for talking absolute shite for hours. <laughs> The best thing about being able to interview passionate creative people is that you get to explore all the different ways that they can communicate their passion. And in Vic's case, he's been very fortunate in that he's been able to do it through making music, exuding passion on the radio and getting other people into new music and also writing about it. It's the moments like that which make this podcast worthwhile and I really hope that you think so too. Thanks for listening. Please check out my Twitter page, that's at the Curator Pod. And if you're on iTunes, if you could drop me a rating and review, I would really, really appreciate that. Not much more to say, I'm afraid. Um, I thank you for listening. I'm going to play you out now with the beta bands Dry the Rain. Until next time, bye bye.
I will now sell five copies of the three EPs by the beta band. Do it. Brown boots in the corner by the iron ball Spray on my 